the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. I am always excited to bring you CFP Chad Burton. He's a regional director at EP Wealth. He's virtually been a co-host for the last 25 years on this show with me. And maybe not virtually, but he's been on a lot of shows. And I think the knowledge is great. And earlier I was talking and I was speaking out some of my thoughts where I'm like, I do a show on wealth accumulation. You do a show on wealth management. And it's like peanut butter and chocolate. It works really, really well together, especially as you get older. Uh, Chad, you and I have an event coming up in May, the Retirement Income and Tax Planning Strategies. We've done these before. They're always good events. It's a two-hour event, not too long, not too short, just right. Thursday, May 25th, 6.30 to 8.30, Palo Alto Elks Lodge. People can sign up at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. But let's get to some fresh content today. You often talk about using the correct conservative growth projections on retirement cash flow projections. So conservative growth projections on retirement cash flow projections. Oh boy, I don't know if I like that. Is there a baseline approach to this? Because um, well, my spouse, my spouse is not conservative when it comes to spending. Uh, yeah, I know. It, it, well, the spending is one thing. That's a whole other category of discussion in terms oh, of true. getting that dialed in. Yes. Um, so this is kind of assuming. All right, I've really been careful. I've gone through all of my expenses. So I'm 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 going to retire. I'm not going to be working forty to sixty hours a week. What's going to get me out of bed? What you know? How much am I going to spend on travel? Um, what expenses stay after I quit work and what expenses go away? Um, so you've done all that, right? Now now you're sitting on this lump sum of money. You've got your social security. You might have some rental income and you've got to project that all out. You got to say, okay, here's my expenses, but this is my taxes that I'm going to pay as I take this income out of various accounts. Um, and you got to use a growth rate, right? You got to use an inflation rate on your expenses uh, so usually at least two and a half percent on normal expenses and at least five percent on healthcare expenses. Now the two and a half percent sounds low right now, right? Mm-hmm. For inflation, that's right. Um, but in retirement, you know, you're not a family of, well, like in my case, six, right? <laughs> Four kids and lots of grocery expenses and and kids in college and things like that. As you go into retirement, you can control your inflation a little bit more, um, and you know, you tend to use less things that get hit with inflation except healthcare expenses later in life. So you've got your conservative estimates on inflation, but then also growth rates on the various assets. And it's kind of like your favorite companies tend to say, 
you know what, we think we're going to earn this. And it's, you know, very conservative earnings estimate. And then they come out with an earning surprise of a few pennies a share every quarter, almost exactly. Right. Uh, Cisco used to be kind of famous for this. Um, so you, you right. under promise and over deliver. And what you have to do in retirement, when you're making a decision on how long you're going to be able to last on a certain amount of money, you better be super conservative on your expectations versus, you know, be too aggressive on your expectations and run out of money when you're 80 years old. You said something kind of funny in there about uh, Cisco used to do this. It's you and I've been doing this long enough. I recently saw John Chambers um, on television. He he looks like Joe Biden now. And when you and I started this, he was a young man. He was a young man and he had this Southern accent, which is something I always liked about him. He'd be like, well, Cisco system's going to be on Mars and it's an interplanetary network. And, I always liked them, but um, get to know your CEO for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're talking about. Um, growth projections on retirement cash flow. Mm-hmm. You talked about things like groceries and how things get a little bit cheaper as your kids get out of the nest. Um, how do you model this? And you, you, you used a wonderful phrase. You said you dial it in. And I, how important is that phrase to you? Because when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I do, I do need to start dialing this in. I mean, it is honestly one of the most difficult parts of financial planning for those that are, um, I guess, a little wealthier. And it's not because they just overspend. It's because they know that they're saving a lot, you know, more than they're making and, but they don't really track their expenses. So that's often a a work in progress when you're doing a financial plan. But in terms of what rates of return to use, I mean, it's simple to just look at the stock market and say, oh, okay, over the last uh, 50 years or so, um, the stock market, if you look at the S&P 500, it's averaged close to 12%. Um, so yeah, you, you wouldn't use that number though, right? I mean, that's that's pretty decent rate of return. So, I mean, if we look at it, you know, I've got a sheet up in front of me that's as of the end of 2020. And at that point for the last 50 years, the S&P 500 had averaged 12.3%. It was positive 78% of the time. Um, so that included a a couple of pretty decent runs in a bull market. Technically, when we go back, we say the S&P is, you and I have talked for 20 plus years on radio, has averaged close to 11% and it's positive around 70 to 74% of the time. Um, and then if when you look at the bond market, over the last 50 years in that same time period, the average return had been 7% and it's positive 92% of the time. Now, Wait, you're saying the average return on bonds over that period of time is 7%? Yeah, and and the reason why that surprises me pleasantly. Well, the the reason why you don't want to use that rate of return is because what happened since two thousand six? We had government intervention, right? And we had a decrease in interest rates, and bonds work inversely. So every asset has, you know, in the stock market or bond market, has two components of return. You have the growth and the value. And then you have your current income and those two combine to your total return. So with stocks, you have dividends and then you have the growth in the share price. With bonds, you have the income from the bond. Now, if you buy a bond directly, you just get your money back typically at the end of the period and the income. But if interest rates are declining, you can actually sell bonds for a capital gain. The, the share, the, the value of the bond went up. So, you know, we had this period of time since right before the great recession to really the the beginning of this year where rates just continued to decline they went from almost 5% on the 10 year treasury to to close to zero at one point 
because of federal Fed intervention on interest rates to stimulate the economy from the Great Recession and then again during COVID. So you wouldn't expect that going forward. I mean, what our investment policy committee, we got 13 plus CFAs and a, and a team on top of that. They, they just review all these asset classes and you look at historical returns, but also expectations going forward. Um, and now we're in a situation where rates have been increasing, but they're starting to kind of level out. So now you can, you know, look at bonds and kind of say, okay, over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, this is what I expect. So this is what's happened, but that's too high on bonds. And this is what I expect going forward. And we've talked about two asset classes, just bonds and S&P 500, which, you know, lately is just a, you know, large cap growth tech index. You know, if you look at the top companies in it and that's not all you invest in, you have large cap, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, and a mix of value and growth. So we look at every single asset class and give our expected rate of return and we plug it into the our, our software that we use. Um, but you, you know, so you're tending to get a rate of return that I, that is, is fun to look at. And it's kind of, here's what the expectations would be when you're managing the portfolio. But I still like to have a uh, more conservative linear cash flow projection. Okay. Um, any last thoughts on this comment? We've got 30 uh, seconds. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it after the break, but you know, you've got, if you look at a real rough rate of return, 2007, right before the Great Recession to 2017, a balanced, globally diversified portfolio still averaged close, a little over five and a half, six percent. So you could run a conservative projection on that. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. He's like standing in a booth right now waiting for questions. It's CFP Chad Burton. He's a regional director with EP Wealth. We've got a big event coming up, which is one of those events that if you've never been to, it's ideal for you. For people with $500,000 or more who are moving towards that wealth management cycle where you're no longer young and vibrant, but you're starting to think, how can I make this last through my golden years? Locations Palo Alto, Elks Lodge, date Thursday, May 25, 6.30 to 8.30. You can learn a lot more information at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. While you're there, if you just want to skip straight to the chase and figure out where you are, you can sign up for an appointment with Chad. And he can go over your taxes. He can talk about portfolios. He can select your optimal social security strategies, managing IRAs. That's what we do at the event. You can sign up at chadburton.com. When we last left off, Chad, you were wanting to hit one more topic, I believe. Well, yeah, it's just, it's just the idea of, you know, here's what we expect out of the stock market in the long run. Mm-hmm. It takes very good care of us over time. But when we say stock market, most people are kind of looking at the S&P 500, which is, right. like I said, it's a very different index now than it was even 15 years ago. Very tech oriented. Very, um, yeah, you're right. Very sensitive to interest rates, right? So, um, and that's not how you invest for wealth management. So the idea of wealth management and asset allocation, I think a lot of people think, oh, that means I'm going to outperform the stock market. And that's, that's actually not what it means. It means if you, if you do things properly, you're supposed to keep up with the market good year in the good years that of all fees and then outperform in the bad years because of asset allocation or rebalancing or small moves to avoid pockets of overvalued assets, whether it's, you know, bonds like last year or 
or you know large cap growth like last year. So subtle moves to make sure that you have more even returns because when you are retired, you are starting to live off of your assets. And so the order of stock market returns becomes a major issue. When you're younger, it doesn't matter. Timing the market is ridiculous. It's a fool's game. If anything, you treat you you try to teach yourself to be greedy when everybody's fearful. And when you have these market corrections, that's when you try to buy more that year. But you don't have that same capability when you're retired if you're constantly pulling money out. So you you do have to do more conservative rates of return. That's why we go through several different retirement tests. Um, and the, one of them that I like to do is a, is just using a, a very conservative rate of return, lower mm-hmm. than what we expect in the long run, somewhere in the you know five point seven percent range. And, and that's assuming you've done all the work with your expenses, you know what you're going to be spending, you've put in your healthcare costs. You've done things like every so often I need a new car, every so often I need to remodel my house or, or certain monthly maintenance costs to your home. Um, and, 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 and then you've created the proper portfolio, which is you know, a balanced portfolio plus off to the side in high interest earning FDIC insured accounts. You have two to three years worth of portfolio draws, not expenses, but portfolio draws. So it assumes you've done all of that. And then in your cash flow model, you're, you're spending your dividends and interest. You're living off your cash when you have those rough market years. Because remember, over the last 50 years or so, the market's been positive around 74% of the time. Um, so what are you doing on the other uh, you know, 26% of the time? And if as long as you can use a rate of return, which is similar to what people receive from the top of the stock market in 2007, before one of the worst corrections we've ever had, 10 years later to 2017, a globally diversified balanced portfolio still averaged around that rate. So what if that happens for the first 10, 20 years in retirement? That's not what we expect. We expect much better results. But what if? How is your plan going to look? And so that's a test that you need to do. I just pulled up some data on what the average retiree spends on monthly expenses. Four most expensive, you just hit all of them. Housing, it's about 36% of the annual expenses. Transportation is about $7,160 in annual expenses. Health spending is $77,000 in uh, spending for retirees. And uh, food, about $6,500. But that doesn't include inflation. And like last year, we saw a lot of food inflation, Chad. So how comfortable are you with those of the big four, so to speak, as far as budgeting and retirement? Uh, I'm, I think that what you put in there is it's hard to project everything linear, right? Because in, in retirement, that's why you hear this term all the time, smiley face budgeting, because when you first retire, your expenses tend to go up. You're doing the things you didn't have time to do, whether that's travel or, you know, work on the house, remodel the house, get a second home, buy an RV and travel, those types of things. So your expenses tend to go way up. And then people get into their, you know, late, mid to late seventies and they're just, eh, I don't want to travel as much. I'm, you know, going to take, do less travel and they eat less and it's just different things like that. So spending tends to drop and then you get into your eighties and your healthcare costs go up. And, um, so you've got to find a way to somewhat smooth that out. But typically we have in financial plans, we have, um, okay, here's, a new car every so often here's or a perpetual lease payment, for example. Um, 
but also here's travel that's probably going to be there for forever. For example, I was just at a wedding and um, there was a 96 year old grandma that was there and then she was going to another wedding in two months. So there's still travel that happens, um, but not quite as much. So a lot of times we'll do, here's a perpetual travel budget that's going to probably be there forever plus inflation, but here's my goals for the first 10 years of retirement, you know, an extra 20, 30 grand a year in some cases that people are, are traveling a lot. Um, and travel is very expensive right now. I mean, it's uh cost of tickets and everything else have gone way up. So yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it in the way that we do it, but I think a lot of people forget, Rob, I think a lot of people forget to even put taxes in their budget or if they're high income earners, they forget the fact that, well, yeah, their neighbor pays 170 bucks a month for Medicare part B, but if you have high income, you start to pay a lot more. So you've got to be pretty detailed in those expenses. Speaking of taxes, one of the best things you said probably 15 years ago on the show was that retirement calculators oftentimes don't take into account inflation or taxes. Are there any online tools that you would say, go get them, Tiger, and that they're okay for the average person? Or do you still kind of want to manage it and see it for yourself? Um, is there anything? I think if you're, you know, younger, 30, 40 years old and you're trying to estimate some things, then that's fine. It might motivate you to save if you use some of the calculators that are on your 401k. Okay. But, um, there's still no good online free calculators that I've found that where you can program, okay, I've got this taxable account and this is how it's invested. So it's going to kick off a certain amount of capital gains tax-free income, dividends and interest. How does that flow through to my return? Wow. I've got one or two rental to, I got one or two rental properties that has depreciation. So not all of my income is taxable. How does that flow through to my financial plan? I mean, we get into the weeds. I, mean, if I need statements. I need two years worth of tax returns and very detailed expenses. And then we can start to run a financial plan. Big event coming up March, uh, May 25th, May 25th, 6.30 to 8.30. Thursday, Palo Alto Elks Lodge. Man, the year is flying by. Do your financial planning now. We're going to be talking, our chat's going to be talking mostly about income being crucial in retirement planning. This is an event for people with 500000 in investable assets. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Always, always, always going to be a boogeyman on Wall Street, and usually the boogeyman's not that bad. Perhaps the debt ceiling is a good example where it could derail everything. It could downgrade America's debt. Eh, it doesn't tend to happen, but it's always going to be a boogeyman. Another one, the FDIC today is talking with a number of banks about a First Republic bank solution. Part of the deal would be taking them into receivership. There are a lot of questions with this. I just sent Chad an email, so this is coming quick and on the fly. 
It says, Chad, we have significant funds locked in October maturing CDs at First Republic Bank. Both accounts have two owners. The bank said we were FDIC insured up to $1 million. I'm thinking of breaking the CD and losing eight to $9,000 interest to save my principal. We would appreciate any thoughts. Is it worth losing the interest and maintaining the principal security? I'm getting that one more often than not. Question. Oh yeah. It's been a super hot topic, Rob, because it would, I mean, think about it. If you're a company too, and you've got your operating account, um, you know, five, six, $15 million, whatever it takes to kind of continue to run your company in good times and bad times. And you, you're trying to spread it out between banks. Um, and you know, some of the banks are offering a similar service, but the rates are much, much lower, but we use a solution called stone castle where within one account you can get, you know, up to 25 million of FDIC insurance because within one account, they spread it out among a bunch of program banks. Um, and, you know, that's creative rates on the first million are over four and slightly under that for the second. So there's, there's options to do that. I think even first Republic was using some sort of an option for that, but I don't think they necessarily need to panic. I mean, first of all, I would call the bank and say, and, and confirm the amount of FDIC insurance, because if you have it, owned by a living trust and you have children involved in the trust, you could have more FDIC insurance than you, than you know. Um, and if you have a living trust and you have large bank accounts that are not owned by the living trust, then you are, you have screwed up anyway. <laughs> so you, that's the whole point of having a living trust is to make sure assets are properly registered to avoid probate, but it also can get you higher FDIC insurance. The other option is to add transfer on death provisions to accounts to add FDIC insurance where, um, you know, it might be you and your spouse, but you might separate an account or have another account where it's transfer on death to two different children or three different children, depending on how many you have. So call the bank and look for solutions that um, allow you to get the proper FDIC insurance without having to cash in and pay interest and penalties. Is that why you have so many children are making more? Yes, I, I I need way more FDIC insurance. So no, I'm I'm done for sure this time. <laughs> the, the youngest turned seven next week, and th- that's plenty. It happens so fast, and they're such little germ machines as well as money need machines. We have a big event coming up: retirement income and tax planning strategies. Thursday, May twenty fifth, six thirty to eight thirty, Palo Alto Elks Lodge. It's the same one that Chad and I've been doing for a couple of years now. It's a great event. Um, EP Wealth Advisors is sponsoring it for us. It's income planning, tax strategies, really, really important once you hit 50 that this all starts getting a good focus and pulling together for you. And Chad does a great event at or a great job at the event. So Chad, let's move on with the, what are some additional retirement plan tests? Um, I think we all like tests when it comes to, am I ready to retire or am I going to end up poor or yep. did I pick the right spouse? Um Yeah. And and this event is not 100 level. um, What is social security? What is a 401k? I mean, this is three, 400 level stuff. I mean, we're going to give dive deep into how taxes work in retirement, certain strategies and things like that. And it is a big job of a fiduciary, right? A fiduciary is somebody (laughs) that has to act in the best interest of the clients. And this is really, really important because there's, I mean, the Department of Labor and the SEC, um, especially the Department of Labor, have passed laws to to try to stop people that call themselves financial advisors and they're really insurance agents selling annuities that are getting a lot of people to roll their 401ks over into garbage products that have, you know, income guarantees, but such high fees that it costs heirs a ton of money. And so 
you know, the majority of the U.S. population is already under saved for retirement in a major way. And then they get conned into these terrible products. And I've seen people go to these types of advisors and those advisors say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Go ahead and retire. Roll this 401k over because they make this huge commission, 5 to 7% on the front end. So their advice is very biased. And all of a sudden, people realize they shouldn't have retired and they don't have enough assets and they're tied up in garbage products. So when you go to a fee-only certified financial planner that that will put in writing that they're a fiduciary, they, they should be showing you these various cash flow projections and various tests because you've got a linear cash flow projection and then you've got, okay, what does your current asset allocation look like and how are those asset classes going to react over time? Uh, so you look at every single asset class and every single asset class has a history. It has a certain amount of volatility and historical performance and, you know, high inflation, low inflation. And so when you run that existing asset allocation through what's called a Monte Carlo simulation, where it takes thousands of different scenarios of, of stock market returns, and this is the order of market return risk, um, you actually can get a success rate. Like what is your success rate to retire with this current portfolio? And unless people have that, you know, two to three years worth of portfolio draws set aside in, in safe money, whether that's treasuries, CDs, online FDIC insured mark, uh, money markets, um, and a balanced portfolio, and they get an 85% plus, um, result in a Marty Carlo simulation, I'm not going to tell them they're okay to retire unless they pass those tests. And then, we continue on. If the person's too conservative or too aggressively positioned for retirement, then we can run a rebalance scenario where we rebalance them to the proper portfolio. And then the system recognizes that it has to maintain that portfolio throughout their retirement, which is the right thing to do, right? You're always trimming gains in the good years and rebalancing in the bad years. And again, we, we see, does that Monte Carlo situation improve or not? Um, and then we can run different scenarios on top of that. Like what happens if you or a spouse goes into a nursing home for five to seven years and has that huge outflow, what's left to the survivor? Um, of, and we can of, also- note, my, of note, my mother's, um, nursing home stay was about $120,000 a year for about three years. Yep. And uh, I had the kind of the very normal situation where a grandfather you know, went in for six months and passed where my grandmother was in memory care for six years. So, and that blew through the majority of their assets. And I hate to say this phrase, but that sucks. Getting old stinks. Memory care, just the word makes me cringe at this point. Well, it sucks for my my mom too, right? You know, single mom raised us and didn't have the chance to save a ton of retirement until she went to work for me. And so, you know, that that blew through what could have supported another generation. But I don't think people realize that once they go into a situation where you need assisted living, adult daycare, or nursing homes, after a very short period of time, that is all on your cost. And there is ways to protect the spouse that's living at home from going into poverty, but there's not a real good way anymore to protect it for children without technically breaking the law. It's interesting that you bring that up because the nursing home cost, my mother died pretty quickly, all things considered in the nursing home. And there was enough left over for inheritance of which that became an estate planning problem. So this all does kind of work together. And then one of my brothers wanted the money in cash. One of my brothers wanted everything in stock and that wasn't terribly well spelled out. And then 
due to COVID, you can't do it in meeting with the judge. They do everything on Zoom meetings now. And it's been a hassle. This is a end of life. Those, those final five to 10 years can uh, create a lot of work for the, the living and not necessarily the dead. Yeah. And you can front run that in the beginning and think about and talk about the scenario. It's one thing to have a living trust, but then it's an idea of how do you spread out those assets, especially if there's there's different real estate. You know, one person might want it, the other person might not. So how do you put in there a plan of, um, you know, first right of refusal to buy a, a certain property or you get this property in exchange, this person gets the cash. Um, you know, how do you settle the estate without causing a rivalry between kids? That's, that's always an issue too. It's really a big topic of discussion and overall financial planning process. You're right, because one of my brothers wanted my mom's house and the rest of us wanted to liquidate it. And fortunately, it was really well spelled out that it was going to be liquidated. But there would have been hard feelings. I think there are still some hard feelings on how everything played out. Oh, yeah, uh, I see it. I've seen it in my own family. I've uh, recently went on a situation where at the first passing of, of a family member, a brother sued a sister. So she had to go on the passing of her mother to go get... um what's called a professional fiduciary or uh, essentially they're professionals at being the executor of an estate to make sure that things are settled properly. And that caused additional fees so that, you know, somebody off to the side is doing every step of the process and communicating between siblings and any disbursements that go out, there's a form letter and required signature so that everybody knows exactly what's going on. So we've got about a minute. Wrap this segment up for me. Yeah. So the other issue when you're when you're doing testing, right? You're doing these Monte Carlo simulations, and you've, you then you know create the correct portfolio asset allocation, and um, you know they're they're passing the Monte Carlo. In fact, you're seeing that oh, okay, there's a decent amount of assets left over for the kids if the both both of the people lived through age 100. We're seeing a decent size estate to the kids. Then you have to sit there and go, okay, what are the better tax strategies here? Um, the default is you live off your cash, then your taxable accounts, and then you start tapping your retirement accounts. And that's not the right thing to do for the family um, or for your overall future. So then you start looking at IRA to Roth conversion strategies. How much is a good amount for this person or this couple to convert each year, especially prior to age 73 from an IRA to a Roth to pay the taxes now and get a tax-free account going. So then you can model the various tax strategies that are meant to, hey, I want to leave more money to my kids than than I want to pay in taxes. Some retirees, chat end up running into liquidity issues later in life. Not a good time to get into the cash crunch. Lots of assets, but much of the net worth is tied up in real estate. In some cases, older people get tired of managing it. What are some of the solutions on liquidity issues in retirement? tied towards real estate. Yeah. And you build wealth and you can get a lot of assets in real estate, but with real estate, it's your, each project you're doing a 1031 exchange to avoid paying taxes to go to the next project. And you get bigger and bigger all the time. And all of a sudden it's kind of like a beast in itself. Um, first of all, you got to understand what taking the tax hit looks like for you. So in the state of California, it'd be capital gains tax, which could be as high as 23.8% and state tax, which could be uh, as high as 133 but then you also have to realize that all of the depreciation that you've taken on that piece of real estate, if it's used as a rental property, your you know, trade and business, um, that depreciation is recaptured at 25% taxes. So there's kind of three different layers of hit. So that's why most people will choose to do what's called a 1031 exchange. So a couple of options there that we'll try to get through is 
you can do, let's say, let's say you've always wanted a second home somewhere. You can 1031 exchange your rental property to an area where you eventually may want to live. But when you do that, you're going to have to rent it out for a while. Um, some CPAs will say, you know, a full calendar year or a little longer. And then eventually you boot your rental out, renter out, you remodel, and then, and then you move in. And when you do that, you could eventually, if you lived in it long enough, claim it as your primary residence and, and then increase your cost basis by 250,000 or if you're single or 500,000, if you're married and then sell. Um, and that's going to lower your capital gains taxes, uh, but not your recapture of the depreciation. Okay. So that's, that's finally just selling. That's complicated. Um, that's not complicated, Chad, but that just, I don't want to do that in retirement. That, like that's, that's a lot. No, it's a long process, but I mean, we have a lot of clients that, that do want that second home in retirement. So it, it okay. might make sense, but you also have to realize that all of a sudden your income goes down right after you kick the renter out. So how does that financial plan look? You could also do a 1031 exchange in what's called a DST, a Delaware series trust. These replace ticks tenants in common from back in the day. Yeah. Um, and this is where you, I mean, you could sell one property and go into multiple uh, real estate deals, whether it's, you know, apartments or hospital or, or senior living or storage or, uh, you know, whatever that you can diversify one investment into several by doing a 1031 exchange into a DST where it's more of a passive situation where you go into a piece of real estate and it's got a very, you know, it, 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 you can tell what the cash flow is. It might help your depreciation again and reset that schedule. And all of a sudden you have no more management issues and you're, you could be in a building leased to Amazon and have very uh, good cash flow, right? Um, in, a, in a lot of cases, especially better cash flow than what people are getting in the Bay Area versus their value these days. So you can 1031 exchange and do one or multiple DSTs. The issue with that one, Rob, is that every five to seven years, those those companies are still trying to always add value, not only in income, but also adding value in terms of appreciation. So every five to seven years, you're going to have to make a decision again of which new DST or or whatever, you know, maybe you want to go back to another rental property of what you're going to go into when they sell that property for hopefully a nice profit, right? So that it's kind of a perpetual every five to seven years, you're making a new decision. There's also another version of this called a 721 exchange where you go into a building that's already been uh, essentially set up to be bought by a real estate investment trust where you 1031 exchange into a, a building, you have a certain amount of cash flow for two years. And then in two years, the plan is for that building to be purchased by a REIT. And the ones that we look at are very attractive, globally diversified REITs where you've got, you know, industrial data storage, um, self-storage, you know, very nice cash flow. Um, and when that happens, you're done. You're then in shares of a REIT, a real estate investment trust. And what's cool about that one is the tax code allows you to pull your cost basis out at that point in time. So you can create some extra liquidity. You can gift a certain amount of shares. You can sell a little bit out of a time. And it's a way to finally create liquidity out of a single property and, and also go from a single property to a very diversified group of properties. Uh, very popular lately is, is people age and they don't want to deal with the hassle of, of rental properties, especially in California where you got tenant laws and, the amount of rent increases and just you know, really bad cash flow. I mean, 
I, I run into people that, oh, I'm getting 60 grand a year. But yeah, when you look at what you're actually receiving, it's a 2% net income on that piece of real estate, which is garbage. I would never be in real estate for that amount unless I knew there was some massive amount of appreciation that was coming. Which after interest rates moved higher, it's double garbage that you even bring that up because getting 2% when the markets are giving four, four and a half percent on cash, like, whoa, I'm with you. I didn't even know a 721 existed or going into a REIT was an option. This is new. We could do a whole hour on this, Chad. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been doing a deep dive into it at EP Wealth just because um, there are so many people that are looking to simplify life and, and just get better cash flow. Um, so the other option, too, if people are very charitably inclined and they know they want to leave a certain amount of money to charity is charitable remainder trusts um, where you can get a tax deduction and income for life. And then what what's left over can go to charity. That's another uh, again, that's my favorite form of estate planning is when people have charitable intent. You've got more charitable intent than I do. I've got fear for my children in societies, but I hear you. So big event coming up, retirement income and tax planning strategies. And Chad is going to return soon to talk more about real estate, real estate and real estate because we know people love that in the Bay Area. But May 25th, Thursday, 630 to 830, it's going to be at Palo Alto Elks Lodge, El Camino Real. Great parking, easy to get to. It's an event where you need to have 500,000 or more of a vessel assets to really get anything out of. Come work with Chad Burton at EP Wealth. You can find him at chadburton.com. Whether it's property insurance review, college planning, real estate analysis, that segment just blew my mind. Retirement savings plan, planning, Medicare planning, much, much more. Find him at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.